Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Engage. Engage. Kirk Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. And hello, fellow Earthlings. How are you? That opening sound bed, which I believe is the technical term, still gets me going, still makes me laugh. The day it stops making me laugh, which will probably be very soon, is the day we change it. How does that sound? I want to know how that guy orders lunch. The guy that does the audio for that. I want to know, does he, does he walk into a sandwich shop and say, I'll have the tuna. <laughs> ah, that's what I want to know. Hey, listen, it's a great, great time in Star Trek fandom right now. We are, there's so much going on. We are two weeks away from a newly announced exciting thing, which is the movie marathon of the new Kelvinverse films. I don't know. Did we talk about the fact that it's called Kelvinverse yet? I get confused between conversations I've had with fellow Star Trek fans in, in the real world and those I've had with you, the listening audience here at Engage. I don't think we've brought it up, but the movies, the, the recent films had previously been called, at first they were, somebody was calling them the JJ-verse, the Abrams-verse. Eh, I didn't really like that. And it made no sense now, because the third movie is is Justin Lin. But also I didn't like that it was putting a little, t- listen, I like J.J. Abrams. I have a complicated relationship with J.J. Abrams, but by and large it is a positive one. Uh, I felt it was putting a little too much on him. And then we were calling it the alternative reality, alternate timeline those didn't have the quite the same pop and now we're calling the movie timeline spock goes through the wormhole and witnesses or he doesn't witness but but uh, nero and his uh, romulan goons cause the destruction of the kelvin which of course sets the timeline apart kelvin blows up and that explains away all the other issues with the other timeline it works it's like a swiss watch so we're calling it the Kelvin timeline, which I love, which is terrific. Anyway, um, as we know, the third film, Star Trek Beyond, is coming out soon. But on the 20th, AMC Theaters is doing a movie marathon. We can watch all three at once. And I am definitely going to go. I live in New York, and I have options. I can either go on 68th Street and see it in IMAX, and not Limax, but IMAX, true IMAX. Or I can go on 42nd Street and see it in something called RPX, um, which is... You know, a big screen, very loud, 
and comfortable seats. And here is the conundrum. IMAX is clearly better because it's a huge screen and it's fun to see a movie in IMAX. It really is. But the seats are not that comfy cozy at the one in Manhattan anyhow, 68th Street and Broadway. So for a regular movie, I wouldn't mind. For three movies, my rear end is going to hurt at the end. The RPX, which is not as good because IMAX is the king, uh, is not as good, but the seats are plush. Not plush, but they're like um, very cushioned leather seats. And by the third movie, I'm going really, to really be wanting that. So I have, uh, I have to choose. I have to, um, I have to really think about it. Spock would say, give up your creature comforts and envelop yourself in the highest scientific projection capability, which is IMAX. Bones would say, you know, think about your ass and, uh, and go to the RPX on 42nd Street. That's the other issue is that the RPX theater is on 42nd Street and, uh, you know, 68th Street is, is, is uh, 26 blocks higher. And, and, you know, there is a strict uh, meritocracy involved in, in that. No, it's just the 42nd Street is, is uh, yeah, you get more tourists there. That's what I'm trying to say. You get more tourists there at 42nd Street. Who wants to be with the tourists? We're obnoxious New Yorkers. We want to be only among our own kind. So I have to think about it. I have two weeks. Um, hopefully I'll see some of you there if you live in New York. And if you don't live in New York or you can't visit, go to a theater near you. Uh, go online, Google, and you'll find where there's one. Pretty much every major city uh, has um, has this marathon showing. Not Peoria, Illinois. Is my friend from Peoria listening? A couple of shows ago, I made a dig at Peoria, Illinois, and I got a, a very nice Facebook message on facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast where a fellow whose name I can't remember politely reminded me that Peoria, Illinois, Peoria, Illinois is is no uh, no joke of a town and has some great connections with Star Trek uh, with with uh, reruns and they had some fun um, kind of a goofy guy uh, whose name I can't remember who was sort of an uh, you know uh, uh, a vampire esque dude who would uh, introduce the introduce the uh, the reruns when he was a kid so hats off to Peoria Illinois this show is dedicated to Peoria Illinois exciting times in Star Trek because in addition to the mo- new movie coming out. There is an exhibit which is opening uh, to today is I'm recording this now on Tuesday, July 5th, and it's opening in, in a matter of days in New York City. I hate to be so New York City focused, but that's where I live and New York is the greatest city in the world and that's that's life. But in New York, should you choose to visit, should you be planning to make a visit this summer, this summer slash this autumn, this exhibit goes on through autumn. At the Intrepid Museum, something called Star Trek, the Starfleet Academy Experience. And I was there a couple of days ago for a press event. The exhibit was 92% finished, and they opened it up to the press for us to play around and look at it. And what I did was I brought uh, my mobile emitter, the mobile kit here for the podcast, and recorded a lot of audio there. And that's what we're going to play with today. But just to give you a little more info, the exhibit runs from July 9th through October 31st, 2016. That's Halloween. Spooky times. And um, it's not that expensive. It's 25 bucks for an adult, 18 for a kid, seniors uh, get a discount. 
Um, it's for a time ticket. If you're so, such a space case that you can't figure out what time you want to go, you can get a pay a little more for a go whenever you show up. But be I think Star Trek fans are a little more organized than that. You don't need those kind of tickets. The $25 ticket is enough. And what do you get for your 25 bucks? You get to go through um, this really awesome exhibit uh, that is uh, as if you are um, a cadet in Starfleet Academy and it's going to kind of test you out and tell you where you should end up. Should you be in engineering? Should you be in command? Should you be in communications? And it's really a lot of really fun interactive um, stops along the way. Uh, there are opportunities where you where you get you know you get your photo taken, you do some uh, video stuff. Uh, we're going to talk it through when we go to the audio that we recorded, but it concludes with a bridge set of the Enterprise D, which is gorgeous. Uh, where you get to take the Kobayashi Maru test, which is fun. And there are a lot of cool um, costumes and uh, props, replicas. It's a great exhibit. For those of us who still yearn for the Star, Star Trek, the experience that was in Las Vegas for years and has since closed, may it rest in peace. This is a nice uh, a nice little uh, reminder of that. It's really cool. So what happened was at the press event a couple days ago, we went and uh, George Takei was there because, you know, they got to get somebody cool from Star Trek to sort of christen the thing. And who cooler than George Takei? And um, it was a busy day. There were a lot of people there, you know, a lot of press from, uh, you know, serious mainstream outlets. The New York Times, the New York Post, um, you know, Fox News, uh, Time Magazine. And everybody wanted some of George Takei's time. And, you know, there wasn't that much time to speak to him. But... George, being uh, what what I call a mensch, uh, took the time to speak with us, uh, which was great. He he heard that we were the podcast from Star Trek, and he said, "Wait, wait, wait, wait. Let me let me talk to my people." So we got a nice solid minute, solid ten minutes with George, which was great. And beforehand, as uh, I was waiting to speak with him, uh, I was schmoozing with Brad, his husband, and I've met Brad before. I met them both before, but you know, George is a busy guy. He talks to a lot of people, uh, but. Um, and in, in both other times when I did speak with George for various, um, uh, I'd interviewed George for, for when his documentary came out a few years ago at Sundance for the New York Daily News. And the same exact thing happened. There were a lot of people that wanted to talk to him. So I was kind of off to the side. And um, not everybody recognizes Brad because he's not a, as much of a celebrity. So I was schmoozing with him like I did last time and I, I did again this time. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of uh, a, a lot of a fun speaking with him, but keep in mind where the conversation was happening was kind of picture in your mind. It was right near a display of a transporter room, a TNG era dis- uh, transporter room, and there were all was all kinds of like information on the wall about a sci- science stations. There was information about you know how does transporter technology work and how does how does warp drive work, and uh, it, it was pretty neat. So anyhow, what we're gonna do now is um, go back in time a little bit and talk about this event uh, and talk to George and then we'll talk some more about the other people we spoke to uh, which includes uh, the astronaut uh, Mike Massimino who uh, is actually the um, uh, official space advisor to the Intrepid Museum and uh, we also took the tour. Just in case you don't know what the Intrepid Museum, there's a very, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm such a, New Yorkers live in a bubble. We assume that everybody knows everything about our city. And I sometimes need to, need to remember that some people don't live 
in New York. So what the heck is the Intrepid? New York City, as you know, is comprised of five boroughs. The central borough, of course, is Manhattan. Manhattan is an island. You know this because you've seen Escape from New York. Manhattan is an island. It's surrounded by the East River to its east, the Harlem River to its north, northeast. It's got the harbor to the south. And on the west, it's got the Hudson River. And that separates New York from a place called New Jersey, which you don't want to know about. So um, in, the, in the Hudson River, there is um, a, a decommissioned aircraft carrier. It's gigantic. And it is, uh, it was, a, it was well, it's called the Intrepid, the USS Intrepid, and it fought uh, in the Second World War. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was commissioned, it was built after Pearl Harbor, and it was sent off to war uh, two years later, I believe. And it fought in the Pacific, and it fought in the Battle of Leyte Gulf, which is a pretty big battle that... Um, uh, actually, an old <laughs> a guy I haven't thought about in many years, an old, old, old friend of mine, I used to work in a movie theater, and the guy, the ticket taker, was this old, old dude, and he fought in the Battle of Leyte Gulf, actually. Um, and he was, uh, he had... <laughs> He had a whole story with that, but anyway. So, uh, but anyway, so the USS Intrepid was uh, was this aircraft carrier, but it has since been uh, uh, transformed into a museum, a naval history museum, but also an air and space museum. Uh, means that there is this giant aircraft carrier, and on it are some planes, uh, including a Concorde jet, which is cool, and other sort of uh, planes from later. Then World War II, there's a submarine attached to it. And if you're into military history, this place is, you can go bananas there. It's really terrific. Um, but, you know, New York City, space is tight. So there's always, uh, there are frequently like events on the Intrepid uh, relating to, uh, m- you know, technology or, or military hardware. Um, but also just like, you know, like, uh, you know, like a record company with someone to throw a party. On the Intrepid, so it's kind of like a place where New Yorkers end up every now and then. Oh, there was this gig at the Intrepid. We were having cocktails and we we drank so much we threw up into the into the Hudson. Okay, well, the Star Trek thing is sort of an in between because it's a cultural event, but it is related to um, you know uh, uh, naval things. And in fact, there is a connection between Star Trek and the Enterprise and the Intrepid, as you'll hear later today. But this uh, cool exhibit. Is, uh, is opening soon. So anyhow, with that, let's go back in time a few days and listen to uh, my brief, but I think amusing and informative uh, interaction with the great George Takei. Well, this is a dream. I'm, I'm, I'm on the closest proximity to a Star Trek set to Starfleet <laughs> with George Takei. How are you, sir? Just great. Having a great time here on the USS Intrepid. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're recording here for Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And you are, we just started the show. This is episode five or six. You are officially the first Star Trek alumni from the cast we've had on the show. Well, I feel very honored to be. You should be, because it's just just the way we wanted it. Now, you've been spending a lot of time here in New York. Mm -hmm. Are are you officially a New Yorker now? Is this something? Well, we're bi-coastal. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have a uh, home in Los Angeles okay. and a home here, so we go, uh, we uh, beam back and <laughs> forth between <laughs> Los Angeles and New York City. Gotcha. Okay, good, good, good. Well, we got you in two good spots there. Have you, I know I know you've been busy since you got here. Have you had a little chance to walk around and look at the exhibit there? They ran me through very okay. quickly for about 20 minutes before you guys arrived. I saw two photos of you. 
Oh. You look very handsome in them. Terrific. Oh, they, uh, you've already seen the photos that they took when... No, no, no. They're on the wall. Oh. In the exhibit. Oh, I've not seen, <laughs> I've, I've not seen me on the, uh, in the exhibit you're in, They have some from many moons ago, from ah. when you're, when you're in, in, in uniform. In my from, blooming youth. Yes. <laughs> Terrific. But they, they did not, and they have a lot of um, props here. And um, some uniforms. They do not have any Sulu props, though. Oh, they don't. No, no. Well, uh, because uh, the whatever Gene Roddenberry gave me, yeah. I uh, gave to the Japanese American National Museum. Oh, okay, all right. As a matter of fact, uh, the Japanese American National Museum is now preparing an exhibit on me. <laughs> Uh, they call it the final. I'm not frontier. laughing at that. Idea. The way you say it, when I hear your voice, I get very, very happy. I, you know, you know how people love to hear your voice. It's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. They so, say I have an idiosyncratic way of talking. Right, right. You know who says that? Who? Brad. He says. Oh. That, right? Brad is right next to us, and he's just shaking his head at every word, <laughs> keeping his mouth shut. He doesn't talk. <laughs> right, wait, wait. So they're doing an exhibit, <clears throat> not just on on you and, and the character of Sulu, they're doing George Takei, the exhibit. The, the, Where is this happening? Uh, it's in Los Angeles, uh -huh. the Japanese American National Museum. But I'm told that the exhibit is going to travel. I don't know where it's going to travel to yet, but uh, it's being designed as a traveling exhibit. Wow. And it's um, the various aspects of my life. You know, I grew up behind uh, barbed wire prison camp mm -hmm. uh, fences. Uh, as a child during the Second World War, and then uh, it's following that, uh, my acting career, mm. and then my uh, activism, mm. and then the, uh, I, in uh, 2005, I came out as gay, mm -hmm. so, and my activism in that arena. So all these various chapters of my life are being uh, you, you know, examined. It, it's been remarkable. You have managed to um, turn the story of your life into uh, into an ongoing artistic process in multiple venues. The show Allegiance, uh, which is, uh, it's not exactly your life story, no. but, it, but it's modeled on your life. It, and now this interactive uh, exhibit that's going to be traveling, traveling the globe. When does it kick off in Los Angeles? Uh, it's March the uh, 10th. March the 10th, okay. and it'll be there until uh, August 31st. Oh, wow. And then uh, it's going to go on to other museums. Um, now, will there, so I, I was griping, but not really griping, because this thing at the Intrepid is fantastic, that there aren't any it Sulu is. props. It's, it's will, galactic. Will, will there be Sulu <laughs> props at the exhibit in, uh, in, in L.A., do you know? Uh, I donated my costume. Okay. At my uh, uh, Captain Sulu costume, which Gene Roddenberry gave to me. Okay. But, you know, it was just sitting in my closet, <laughs> gathering dust, and I thought, this is selfish, and right. I, I'm not looking at it every day. You know? No, no, no. So... I should share it with everybody, and That's I donate it to a museum. If I, I'm curious about two particular Sulu props. I wonder where they are. Number one, you could probably guess, would be from the episode The Naked Time. Where is that sword? That little rapier? I wish I knew. Yeah. But one fan gave yeah. me a fencing foil that is an amazing replica of it. Yeah. And so uh, that's in my closet oh, at okay. home. That's, I think, going to be in the exhibit. That's terrific. You know, it's a, it's a famous story from Star Trek lore that the producers came to you and they originally wanted you to do a, like a samurai sword, That's right? correct. And you felt that it was, well, you tell, you know. Well, I mean, life, I'm of Japanese ancestry. Yeah. So, you know, it's ethnically consistent, culturally yeah. consistent. Mm -hmm. But I said, uh, I didn't play samurai as a kid. 
And they said, oh, what'd you play? Cops and robbers? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, uh, cowboys and Indians? And I said, well, I saw Earl Flynn in The Adventures of, uh, Adventures of Robin Hood. I was swept away by that. Mm. And so I had my mother make me a Robin Hood costume and my backyard became uh, Sherwood Forest. And so I played uh, a swashbuckler. And they, they said, oh, that's a fun, fun thought. By the way, do you fence? I said, it's my favorite hobby. <laughs> all I had, all, all the experience I had was my let's pretend fencing. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, is this something that you would recommend? So you basically lied. You lied to the uh, producer? No, no, because I gave it truth later on. Oh, okay. That weekend, I took my first formal fencing <laughs> Well, this is lesson. what I've always wanted to know. So it became know. truth. This is what I always want to know, because this was in an era before the internet. Now, if I lied to a television producer... <laughs> Don't I, use the word right, lie. If I, if I, I made it a truth. Okay. If I said to a television producer, of course I know how to fence, I could whip out my, my iPhone and I could find a fencing teacher probably like that. How did you... How did you were you making frantic phone calls? Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? How no, am I going to no, find no. somebody? No, no, no. That night, yeah. I went home and we used to have what was called... You're too young to not recall. <laughs> a phone book called the Yellow Book. Oh, okay, yeah. I yeah. Opened, it, opened it up to fencing lessons. Okay. There was a studio right on Sunset Boulevard. Okay. And so I made an appointment for ne- the last uh, the next Saturday. Oh, okay. And I was taking my first fencing lesson mm-hmm. from a Mr. Faulkner, who turned out to be yeah. the man who choreographed the fencing sequences in The Adventures of Robin Hood. No joke. And, and he uh, he uh, um, substituted for Basil Rathbone when uh, Earl Flynn had those close-ups. So uh, I was looking at Mr. Uh, Mr. Faulkner's yeah. back yeah. in those close-ups. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> so it, it, it all worked out, and it's an indelible part of the character. And an indelible part of our culture. Look around. 50 years. I mean, there's this, this massive uh, exhibit here. It, it's incredible. And, of course, uh, Star Trek continues. You know, there, there's going to be a new show next January, which that's I'm right. sure you've heard about. I wanted to ask no, you about... No, not, not January. Uh, this July. No, that's that's the movie. Yeah. But there's going to be a oh, new oh, Star right. Trek the, television, the television show series. in January yeah. right. that Brian Fuller is producing. That's correct. And I wanted to talk to you about two things. I got, <clears> I got, <throat> I got to get your, your take on these two things that he said. Brian Fuller was asked recently um, two things. Number one, they asked him uh, in a very polite manner. They said, listen, there has never been an LGBT character in Star Trek officially. And this is something of, a, of, a, of an issue, of a problem. The elephant in the room, most Star Trek we fans We talk are, about diversity, right. and that's certainly a part of uh, diversity. And Star Trek fans are very you know, welcoming and would need to see that represented. And they asked Fuller, will there be a gay character on the show? And his response was, and I believe I have this word for word, progressive fans will be happy to see what we're doing. Good, good. So, so this obviously is something that you're pleased to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. At long last. At long last. And you know, Gene Roddenberry was there too. Yeah. Uh, we discussed it. And he said, yes, that is part of uh, the diversity of humankind. Mm. However, when I really pushed the envelope mm. and we had a, a, a black-white kiss, mm. Uhura and Captain Kirk mm-hmm. kissing, that was the lowest rated show right. that we ever had. Right. Because many of the stations in the American South did not air it at all. Right, right, so right. So it was the lowest rated. He said, 
I'm walking a tightrope with Star Trek by dealing with the various issues that we're uh, being confronted with right now. Right. I'm pushing the envelope, but if I push it too hard, the envelope will break. Right. We will right. be canceled. I need to stay on the air. So I understood that because I was closeted at that time sure. too. Yeah. I was talking as a liberal, you know. Right, right. With and so that was the reality back then that we all had to live right. by. Well it's hard to now change. We I mean today. in the last ten years and, and, and no, exactly a year. I don't from I don't wanna I don't wanna understate it. A lot of the changes in American culture are due to you and Brad, really. You've been well you've been we were lightning part rods. of it. You've been lightning we rods were pulling at the same wagon with a lot right. of other people. One very important question, because they're kicking me out of here, but I gotta do one more. In this in this interview with Brian Fuller, somebody said to him Oh my God, you got the new show. Are we going to see classic characters that we love? Wink, wink. And he said, let me worry about season one right now. But he did say, and this is the quote, eventually, eventually, yes, we will see characters we love. Let's say hypothetically, Brian Fuller finds your name in the yellow book <laughs> and wants say, you know, we'd like to have well, I'm yellow. I'm Asian. <laughs> well, it's not what I, you said yellow book before. You know what I'm saying. You mentioned it before. Um, he wants Admiral Sulu for one scene, for one show, for one episode, for 14 episodes. Why not? You're not not picking up the phone when Brian Fuller calls. Should he want to bring old characters back that we love and admire? That's a setup, isn't it? I'm just saying. <laughs> you if, know the answer. <laughs> I'm just curious. I mean, he said eventually we'll see. If if he were to call, you would say. I'm proud of my association with Star Trek as it is, uh -huh. and the thought that I could expand on it to to live into the future of uh, Star Trek mm. would be enormously f fulfilling. Well, I think most of us would agree. So I want to say <laughs> thanks very much for being the first official Trek alumni guest on Engage the Official Star Trek Podcast. This was a dream. Thank well, you so thank much. Well, thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. <laughs> okay, a galactic great. time. <laughs> okay, take care. Live long and prosper. Thank you. to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it welcome back to engage okay. the official star trek podcast with your host jordan hoffman you are after all irrational there he is there's george takei the first official star trek alum on Engage. I'm thrilled it was he. I'm thrilled it was he that could be the first. George Takei, what a guy. And we heard him say, and we can hold them to this in a court of law, we heard him say that, yes, if Brian Fuller was going to give him the call to be on the new show at some point in season two, he would take that call and have a discussion about it. Okay, no big surprise there, but it's still pretty cool to hear them say it. Also cool that we could talk to George, who, um, you know, really has been uh, a lightning rod for the gay rights movement about the fact that all signs point to Brian Fuller, including a visibly LGBT character in the new show, which I really, really, really hope happens. We'll talk more about that as the show gets closer. But before we go back to our recording at the Intrepid and we take the tour, the next stop will be taking the tour. Um, I have something important to say, ladies and gentlemen out there on planet Earth, listening to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. We have our first sponsor. 
Hooray! We have our first sponsor, which means the show will continue. The show will go on because we have now the good people at Mac Weldon who want to engage with the listening audience of Engage. Who is Mac Weldon, you wonder? Well, Mac Weldon makes high-end men's underwear. Although I don't want to be gender specific here. If women want to wear this underwear, they can too. I'm not going to tell them not to. But by and large, this is underwear for men. And I don't know if you're like me, but up until very recently, when Mac Weldon came into my life, I bought underwear like a total slob. I would go to street fairs in the summer and buy that year's underwear in bulk, you know, six tidy whities in a, in a cellophane wrapper. And, and uh, well, you know, I would buy two of them or so. I don't know. I would buy them until they, until, they became hang- until they became tissue paper and floated off my body. And then I would buy more. No more. Mack Weldon underwear is the greatest. It is uh, very comfortable, very stylish, because you want to level up. And it, 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 it is, I don't know how these guys do it. They're practically magicians. But their underwear is, is so terrific that it um, uh, is very soft and it conforms to your body. You can be out in it all day. You can, you can get up in the morning, go to a Star Trek convention all day, hang out singing Star Trek karaoke at night, and then in the evening, if uh, you're lucky enough to uh, be with uh, someone else, you are going to be very comfortable, and you're not going to stink. This is the exciting aspect of Mack Weldon that nobody else is going to tell you about, but I am. Many of us Star Trek fans can be slobs. I know I'm one. Mack Weldon has a line of underwear called the Silver Line, and it has some... I'm not making this up. It has some kind of space-age advanced polymer that is microbial, and it will somehow contain bodily odors. And you can be the most filthy, disgusting man, but no one will know but you and the wormhole aliens. Uh, and uh, to the outside world, you'll, you'll be a dream. You'll smell like a, a French vanilla sundae. So I want you to check out Mac Weldon underwear. And if you don't believe me, A, if you get your first pair and you don't like it, you can send it back free of charge. You get your money back. But also, if you're listening to me talk about underwear, and if you are, you really need to reassess your values in life. But if you're listening to me talk about underwear, you can use the passcode ENGAGE, and you'll get 20 percent off. Hey, that's actually pretty good. 20% off. And uh, you could try it out. Try out the silver uh, boxer briefs. I'm telling you, they're very comfortable. You can, you can wear them all day. And if you're out in the, if it's July, right now it's July, it's disgusting. It's horrible out. Everything's a mess down there by the end of the day. But if you wear these special underwear, I'm telling you, they, it's some kind of thing. It's from NASA. NASA isn't just uh, sending the Juno spacecraft to go look at, at, at Jupiter. They're doing things like making underwear that'll contain your horrible odors. So that's that. That's the last I'll talk about it for now. But check it out. Go to MacWeldon.com. Engage gets you 20% off. If you don't like it, send it back. You get all your money back. And it's going to be good. If you're going to conventions this summer, for God's sake, buy some underwear that'll contain your stink. I know I need it. 
All right. So listen, enough of that. Let's go back now to the Intrepid, where we're going to take the tour with a really cool guy, a special tour named Mike, a fellow by the name of Michael Murtaugh. And then after that, we'll speak to Mike Massimino, a guy who's actually been to space and um, hear what he has to say. So let's check that out now. I'm here with another legendary figure, Mike Murtaugh, who is, works at the USS Intrepid. Your official title is? I am a senior tour guide. You're a senior tour guide. And what's great about Mike is uh, he's also a huge Star Trek fan. And what's, what's going to be fun about this exhibit is that there's a special, you know, Star Trek fans are never satisfied. They always want more, more, more. So there's a cool exhibit here that we're going to be um, walking through with Mike, interactive, uh, with lots of props and there's medical bio beds and all kinds of neat stuff. Um, but we're also at the USS Intrepid, which is one of the most remarkable museums anywhere. It's a decommissioned aircraft carrier that fought in the Second World War. Second World War, Vietnam, and much of the Cold War. M- and much of the Cold War. And it parked itself in the Hudson River and became a museum in 1982. 1982. I remember coming here on a class trip in the seventh grade or so, and probably a guy like whoever came before you and before him was the guy who who showed me around. But they have, um, you know, so it's an aircraft carrier, but there are uh, there are amazing jets and the Concorde. Is the Concorde still up there? Concorde is uh, on the pier just behind the tent. And there was that weird black looking plane. What was that? It's the A-12 Blackbird. Uh, it is a spy plane from the 1960s. Wow. Okay. At the time, the fastest aircraft to fly. Cool. And the submarine. Ah, yes, the Growler, one of America's first nuclear missile-carrying submarines. Nuclear Wessels. (laughs) In Alameda. (laughs) Right. So the reason what's so cool is that Mike is doing a special thing. Whose idea was this? Was it your idea? Who came up with this crazy idea? Well, we do a lot of tours. We were looking for different ideas for it. And as I started gathering material, places where Intrepid overlaps with Star Trek history, I realized we could do this as an in-universe thing. Right. So if you come to this special exhibit... Uh, for the Star Trek exhibit, you can also buy a ticket where there are special uh, tours of the Intrepid. There are tours all day long of the Intrepid, but there's going to be special themed tours of the Intrepid, the, 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 the usual exhibits, the permanent collection, if you will, done with a Star Trek bent. And the theory is that you are going to be a cadet, you who buy a ticket. You buy a ticket and you become a cadet in Starfleet Hundreds of years from now, and you are, you are, uh, or no, you're not in Starfleet, but you're, you're, well, you tell me, it's your you show. You just graduated from the academy, yeah. you've been assigned to a starship called Intrepid, before we take you up to space dock, you come here to New York to pay homage to history's most famous Intrepid, the aircraft carrier known as the Fighting Eye. This is amazing, this is like the Voyager episode, uh, Time in a Bottle, uh, it's called Ship in a, Time in a, Time in a, Ship in a Bottle. Ship in a Bottle, the one where the doctor was on, uh, was in a, um, was in a historical recreation, right, the, the, uh, from Voyager, yeah. That's a great episode, and you're living that episode. Exactly. Every day, from now till October, right? Yeah, running up through October 31st, Halloween. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come on Halloween. All right, cool. So we're not doing that tour now, but Mike is going to show us around the special um, uh, exhibit now, which is called the Starfleet Academy Experience. Exactly. And uh, you walk in, and you open the door, and first of all, it's hot outside. You walk in, it's air-conditioned, thank God, and you get a cool-looking, uh, it looks like an iWatch, but it's uh, it's a branded, what is this? 
is doing RFID the RFID bracelet. It's going to track your progress as you attend Starfleet Academy. You're going to go through various uh, stages along the way, different checkpoints, and you scan it, and it's got your email address on it because there's some cool interactive stuff, even some videos that are then going to be sent back to you uh, at the end of the at the end of the show, absolutely. They're also tracking your progress to determine what they, uh, what uh, you know uh, Starfleet specialization you're going to have after you graduate. Whether you're going to be a red shirt or a captain, exactly. I'm going to be a red shirt for sure. Okay, cool. Mike, quick question about the Intrepid and how it uh, works with Star Trek canon. Tell me the story. There's a cool story that you're going to tell me, but I forget it myself. Well, there's a whole bunch of different intrepids throughout both history of Star Trek and the U.S. Navy, and really the first for the U.S. Navy is a vessel that in 1803 starts out as a pirate ship. It's operating with the Barbary pirates attacking American ships in the Mediterranean until it's captured by a small U.S. Navy vessel under the command of a uh, captain by the name of Stephen Decatur, a very famous figure in U.S. Navy history. You want to take a guess as to what Decatur's uh, vessel might have been called? What was the name of Decatur's vessel? I think I see where this is going. Enterprise. Hey, 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 hey. So the Enterprise captured a ship called the Intrepid that was run by pirates. Not called the Intrepid yet, but they captured it called the Mastico at the time. Oh, okay. And it's renamed Intrepid as it's brought into the U.S. Navy. Oh, so when, so when you captured a pirate, you're like, you're going to jail and we're taking your ship. Absolutely. It's kind of badass. That's a Klingon way to go. Without question. So Captain Decatur of the Enterprise, which was, what kind of ship was it back then? It was a then? schooner. It was a schooner. So it's a smaller uh, sailing vessel, but one that, uh, you know, would still see some action, some combat. So uh, from the beginning of the show Enterprise, when you see all the different ships, where is this on the timeline of actual Enterprises? Was this the first one? It's a tricky question to answer because you also have Enterprises before that in the Royal Navy. Um, British. Yeah, I would no, put it. this is America. Yeah. We're going to talk about the British. America. <laughs> I put it someplace around when they show the sailing vessel. Maybe not okay. that exact one, but it's in that era. There were actually several enterprises in the U.S. Navy that were sailing vessels. One served with Benedict Arnold on the Great Lakes of the American Revolution. No joke. Oh, man. What? Uh, there's an enterprise now still, right? Uh, actually, there is not. The last enterprise was a nuclear-powered carrier that retired three or four years ago now. Mm. But when they retired that ship, the Secretary of the Navy, his name was Ray Mambus at the time, his speech at the retirement talked about how he has officially signed... Uh, orders that the next nuclear power carrier to be commissioned uh, will be named Enterprise to keep that name alive. Now, awesome. it's going to be in the 2020s that it finally enters service, but the planning and construction is getting underway right about now. Cool. And there's no active Intrepid. It's just the museum now. Just the museum. After the muse okay. this ship, they never named another one Intrepid. Awesome. Yet. That's a really cool story. Now let's check out the exhibit here of the Starfleet experience at the Intrepid. So as you walk in uh, and you get set up with your uh, ID, there's a beautiful, huge replica of the original Enterprise. No, as, as Scotty said, no, no B, C, or D. It's just the Enterprise. And it looks gorgeous. It brings a tear to my eye. And this is a press preview today, so it's not officially set up. But you're telling me, Mike, that in a couple of days, this is going to have flashing lights and sound effects. and Absolutely. You're going to be able to see, as if it's being hit, the shields around it. Look, we're going to see the deflector shields. Yeah, you're going to see uh, you know, imagery that will portray the shields around. Oh, there. man. That's awesome. Cool. And then on the left, there's some uh, uh, photos with some information about Gene Roddenberry and about the various casts. There's Jadzia Dax. 
There's seven of nine. She and I have a very special relationship. Take a quick look, too, at the dates. Yeah. It's got the dates the series ran, but then also the dates in the Star Trek universe the series take place. Oh! As we step further in, we eventually enter the Star Trek universe. These are not TV series. These yeah. are historical events that the cadets are going to think about as they go through the experience. This is the history of the future we're about to see. Precisely. And also, everything is in English and in Spanish, because uh, we are uh, we want uh, people from all over to be able to experience this. Absolutely. This is terrific. We'll probably uh, try to get Klingon in there before we're done. La Trek no lo Oh, technology. I know how to say, you know how you say technology in Spanish? Trechnologia. That makes sense. All right. I took French in high school, so my Spanish isn't so good. All right, we're walking in again now. We're in the next room, and this is, um, oh, this is sort of like where you would see yourself. Well, what'll happen is you'll step here, and the screen in front of us, a holographic image will be displayed of a Starfleet officer, female, explaining that you have now entered career day at the Starfleet Academy. Awesome. That you're here to find out whether or not you've got what it takes to be a Starfleet cadet. That's fantastic. That's terrific. Cool. So then you walk into, there's another timeline here with great pictures and factoids, and a hardcore Star Trek fan is going to read every single one of them, but there's, there's young Captain Kirk. There's uh, Dr. Noonien Sung. All right, there, that's good. There's Tarak Noor. Um, and this is very, you know, to people who, who remember the Las Vegas um, Star Trek experience, which is now May Rest in Peace, this is something similar. It's a cool timeline, um, but it's, uh, it's got everything up until, what is the last thing on here? Well, it runs from basically World War III, the beginning, 2026, all the way up to the events of Star Trek Nemesis. So Data's death, the Battle of the Basin Rift in uh, 2379. Nice. Okay, good, good, good. All right, so then we walk into the main chamber, and it's a beautiful room. You can hear the humming around us. Those are the sounds of, uh, of, uh, of the future, and also the, the wonderful air conditioning unit because it's blazing hot outside because we're right in the middle of the river. There's no buildings to shade us in the summertime. So, uh, no, absolutely not. It's <laughs> hot here. <laughs> cool. So we're now in Starfleet Medical. I'm looking at two bio beds, and there are two Klingons that are laying down. They look like they've had a rough day. Um, they've got uh, Baldrick's on, and what looks like to me there's an inter. I played around with this earlier. There's an interactive event where you pick up a medical tricorder and you scan the Klingon. Uh, it's a, you know it's a mannequin, and um, you will figure out what's wrong with him. And if you do it correctly, you save the Klingon. If you don't, the thing's going to say medical is not for you. Maybe engineering, right? He's dead, Jim. <laughs> Not exactly. only do you get to find out what's wrong with him, you have to diagnose it. You're going to find three spots on his body where there's something wrong. It uses real medical terminology to explain what's wrong. And mm -hmm. then you have to figure out, out of three options, which of those afflictions the Klingon is facing. Wait, but Klingon anatomy is different from Terran anatomy. That's, uh... Fortunately, the computer is very smart. Okay, all right, good, good, good. I was worried that I'd be graded differently. Okay, let's stand over here. This is the communications area. Mm -hmm. So there's information about the universal translator. One of the most vexing bits of technology. I've never quite understood. I mean, there's different theories about the Universal Translator, how it works. But, um, oh, and this is great. This is really neat. And this is educational. So if you're parents and you're debating whether or not to bring your kids, here's a good excuse. It has, and I'm imagining this is replicated all over the exhibit. Absolutely. A running it's got, theme. It, the running theme is what's, what's happening now. So there's a whole thing about the Universal Translator, but then beneath it, there's stuff about Google Translate and Skype Translator, so this is a nice. You can if you if you want to do an if you're a parent that wants to quiz your kid and try to make this an educational thing, you can say, what did we learn about Star Trek and how it relates to our everyday? And in the world of the exhibit, it's portrayed as if this is past history that's being referenced here to the cadet of the future. 
you know, we're looking back at the history of something like Google Translate and how that has influenced the development of the tricorder. Like as, you know, we say, hey, the printing press back in the day, now we got the internet, now we got Wikipedia, now we got all this. All right, good, 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 I like this. There's the classic communicator. So what's happening at this interactive station here? So in each of the different areas, there's going to be an activity, and then it ends with a recruitment quiz. And this is really how they get a sense of what different field to send you into. As you work through the different questions in the quiz, a few of them will be questions, uh, they pose a scenario, they give you options. And which option you pick will tell them whether you lean more toward medical. I'm going to try to Yeah, let's try it out. Let's, let's run turn your, it uh, on your watch. All right, there. yeah, good. Uh, okay, take a moment to complete. Listen. So we just say, just so I can paint the picture with words. We are um, at the communication center. There's a big picture of of Uhura and a big picture of, of Hoshi Sato as well. Sato. Okay. So if you it's asking me if you could choose a Vulcan trait, what would it be? One, the ability to mind meld. Two, excellent logic. Or three, the ability to always control your emotions. You know, mind melding would be pretty cool. You know, if I if you could mind meld. Uh, I'm going to try mind melding because um, that would have uh, helped me out a lot in the past. All right, you passed your Klingon uh, language test. Which phrase would you use the most? Kapla! Oh, <laughs> my Klingon isn't so good, but they have the English translations. It is a good day to die. Are you healthy or standing by? I'm going to use Kapla. That's the one kapla. I use the most every day anyhow. Say that on the way to work. What is the most exciting thing about the Universal Translator? That is the next question. All right, it puts countless languages at your fingertips. Yes, how its inner systems work. It can help crews avoid conflict. Oh, that's very, I like the third one because it's very work specific. I'm gonna say the best thing about it is that it can help crews avoid conflict situations. If we all had the Universal Translator, maybe we'd all get along a little better. Very diplomatic of you. Which hostile species concerns you the most? Uh, does Donald Trump count or no? Okay, which hostile species concerns you the most? One, the Borg. Oof, removing Borg implants is life-threatening. The Borg, they can travel farther and faster than any known species. The Borg, all the answers are the Borg. Is this is this a glitch or is this uh... No, I, I think they're trying to tell us that the Oh, Borg the answer is, is the Borg. Oh, it's, it's a joke, I well, see. I okay. That's what Q told us, so. The Borg is pretty, pretty yeah. concerning. Okay, so it's why I think uh, because the Borg doesn't negotiate and resistance is futile. That's the answer. They're, it's like talking to a wall with the Borg. You can't, you can't reason with them. Next question. Which 20th century technology made way for the handheld communicators that Starfleet members use in the 23rd century? I have three minutes to come. Okay, okay. All right, all right. Don't, don't rush me, man. The radio, the... Anyway, so um, it's, it's sort of quizzing me about what current technology made way for the handheld communicators. And I'm going to say the cellular flip phone because it's not just the tech, it's the look. Once we saw that first Motorola StarTac, everybody was like, I'm Captain Kirk, this is incredible. And, um, you know, design is, is key too. So I think that was my last question. So now this is in the data bank. So at the end of the exhibit, at the end, when I swipe my uh, ID, it's going to tell me if I did really well on these questions, it's going to say, you know, you should really work in communications. Absolutely, so you have these for each of the different areas you go through, five yeah. questions, four of them are more like personality profile questions, one's right. a factoid. I got you. You answer the questions, they're gonna give you a certificate that tells you which different field you've went to based on how you've scored through yeah. all these tests throughout. I wouldn't mind working in communications, you know, it's, it's that's always been a, you know, on some, of the, on some of the series, they don't have a dedicated communications person. I mean, 
Enterprise and original series, but you know, on the other series, they didn't have just somebody always at the station who was a member of the day-to-day -day crew. One could perhaps interpret it that by the time they get to the uh, you know the twenty uh, the twenty-second century, perhaps uh, universal transmitter technology has gotten to a point where they no longer need a communications officer. Oh, Consider yeah. Sato and Uhura are the only <coughs> After two that, that. Are throughout the series. I guess yeah, you know, like on Deep Space Nine, it was kind of was it. I guess it was sort of Chad Zia's. Or they didn't really have anybody doing no, it. Nobody officially for that. Though they do have the great universal translator gag when the Ferengis <laughs> go back in time. Yeah, it's the Roswell incident. Right. They're banging on their ears. They're banging on their ears. Cool. In this particular area, one thing I just want to point out the activity has not been installed yet, but you're going to learn Klingon. On a screen, a Klingon stands in front of you, he tells you a phrase. You're supposed to repeat it back to him. If you do not do it correctly, the Klingon grows angry. We can imagine why you might not want that. I predict a lot of very funny Instagrams and vines happening here of quack, 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 and they have a, an angry Klingon. That's my, that's my Klingon right there. Here's Odo's, Odo's suit. Indeed. And not a prop here, but an artifact, an this historical artifact. Rene Aubergenois actually sweated in this, in this suit at some point. Oh! And this is, Mike, this is an original series Klingon, right? Absolutely, good call. It's, look at the, the mesh on those pants and the belt with like, like what, is, what is that belt made out of? Those diamonds. Probably in universe. Say again? It's like air bubbles. Yeah. They do look like air bubbles. Wait, are they air bubbles? Yeah, I think you they You know, are. this exhibit's really cool. You can get really up close and personal with, um, some of these uh, costumes. I'm like I'm like centimeters away from it right now. And this is, you say, an artifact also? Absolutely. Uh, we are in the uh, future, so these are uh, historical artifacts. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And there's a lot of other, we can't, listen, we can't detail everything, but there's a lot of information about various species. I'm seeing things about the Cardassians, about the Klingons. There's Worf, there's Spock, there's, uh, there's uh, Gul Dukat, there's some Romulans. The Kazons. Ah, the Kazons. Good. Let's, uh, the Vorta. The Jem'Hadar. Ooh, the Orions. My word. The Zindi. All right, good. So everybody's here, and there's a lot of information. Oh, there's Q. There's a lot of information about various um, Star Trek species, and that's, that's you know, stuff that, that every, every fan loves. And you're going to spend all day reading all the plaques. And then there's another station here, which has a lot of... Um, Cool looking. Uh, these again are replicas. These are various pads, and there's some disruptors here. Uh, that is a Datach, I believe. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a Klingon Datach, and there is a uh, Klingon disruptor. disruptor. What is this? I sh I'm, I'm on a weird angle. Let me. This is a medical tricorder. It is indeed. This is from the uh, the newer iteration of Star Trek. Oh, okay. This is from the Kelvin universe. Do you know that's what we call uh, yes. it now? A couple days ago. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Mike is on it. <laughs> Mike is on it. Yes, this is a Kelvin universe tricorder. You know, I don't know that I've actually seen one of these up close. All right. Oh, it says tricorder right on it. You know, it almost looks like an old like tape recorder and where it would say Panasonic, it says tricorder in the same font. I bet you that's an in-joke. Like an electric razor maybe too. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. And there's the also the Kelvin uh, Universe communicator, which I do like. It's pretty slick. That's cool. What is this little thing over here? Let's see what we've got here. Ah, oh, this is a picture. This is a wrist communicator, wrist communicator from Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Wow. You know, I've never been that up close to this. It's really cool looking. Very different. All right, so there's a lot of cool things in here. Um, there's a, a whole station about Klingons. Um, we're moving on. What's uh, this? Is more medical stuff? We're Absolutely. back over by the bio beds. Yeah. The way that it's laid out, you don't yeah. have to wait online for medical to free up. You get the communications first and bounce back and forth between these different areas. Okay. So the 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 uh, exhibitors who put this together, they know 
that when things get busy, uh, there's always stuff to do. This is the Astrometrics lab? Yeah, you're heading into science right here. Okay, now this is not hooked up yet, but this, this is a giant orb. It looks like twice the size of the org that Sargon was in. Um, but this orb is ultimately going to be what? Well, the idea is your starship is broken, you have to crash land on a planet. Oh. Utilizing technology, you're going to be able to flip through different terrain that will be projected onto this globe to show you the different planet options you have. Oh, have okay. That's planet to crash land on. Nice. I would crash land on Ryza if possible. But, um, okay, so this is sort of a game, and then you see it projected on this wall over here. Very cool. And then they have something uh, next to it, which is just called the Hall of Fame, and it's just information about all of our pals, all of our... Star Trek heroes, there's Spock, there's Data, there's Catherine Pulaski, awesome. There's Flux, uh, Dr. Bashir, um, Christine Chappell, good, they went deep on some of these. So the Halls of Fame are supposed to reflect the different Starfleet officers whose specialization corresponds to the area we're in. Right, okay. Cool, cool. And there's a lot of detailed information probably, again, from a, a historical point of view. In-universe point of view. In-universe point of view. These awesome. important historical figures. Absolutely. Okay, we're moving into another section. We're getting very close to what looks to me like a train. Oh, we're in engineering now. Yeah. Oh, this is, I heard about this earlier. So they have what looks like a transporter, um, uh, transporter pad from Next Generation era. But and immediately I would think, oh, you'd probably want to stand in there and get a photo and your friend could take a picture of you and put it on Facebook. But there are these tubes. So I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. But there are these, um, uh, I don't know, what are these stations called booths, here? Booths, I guess we would booths. call them here. There are these booths with green screen. And I guess the shtick is when this is uh, all together later this month, uh, you're going to stand in front of it on green screen. It's going to take a video of you as you, as you beam. And then it's going to then it project the video onto these tubes, and all your friends can come and laugh at you while you do it. Absolutely, a 3D hologram inside the tube. Oh, it's Allegedly. a 3D hologram. Well, it's going to look like that because of the rounded oh, curved surface. Like so Will I Am on CNN? There, yeah. Maybe your friend standing in the middle, surrounded by uh, you as you're beaming. And you can do like a crouch down. You can do absolutely. That's awesome. And the, and the video will be sent to you via email. Exactly. You can do a Lieutenant Barkley and freak out that you're being, uh, you know, uh, transported. <laughs> the best episode. I love that episode. Um, well, cool. I got to come back when that's up. Okay. We're going to keep going. There's more information here about various Star Trek science. There's a, a, a whole thing on the wall explaining warp drive, explaining the transporter, the replicator. Is there, is there a replicator here? We do not have a replicator here, yeah. but this is a place where modern technology very heavily overlaps in terms of 3D printing. Right. Ah, yeah. So this is information here about how in the 2010s, the technology of 3D printing is not that far. This was a far, far cry from instantly producing a hot cup of Earl Grey tea. But 3D printers, and then it goes on. I prefer Rectogeno, personally. <laughs> um, Yes? What is this thing over here? This is very, very cool. This is our uh, lead motion technology using uh, the RFID bracelets that yeah. everybody is going to be wearing. Now, the idea here is you're inspecting the Starfleet. So, utilizing your hand, you I can I just want to paint a picture. Ships. It's like a pyramid. It looks like a, a glass pyramid. Like a, It looks like the front of the Louvre Museum, a mini version of that. A glass pyramid with video screens on three sides, and the fourth side is, is against the wall. And what I'm looking at is every ship of the line. There's the Defiant, and I'm putting my hand over over a thing, and why don't you do it here? Well, you're gonna be able to move the ships around and manipulate oh. them. Oh. 
Oh, so now I'm looking at the stern of the Defiance. You should be able to flip the whole thing around. Yeah, there we go. Oh, wow. Flip there are the nacelles. Down, inspect it. And then if you want to go to a different one. Yeah, let's see it. If it swipe it away like Tinder. There we go. There's the classic Enterprise. There's uh, the Defiant again. We're, we're, and the next one is... Um, uh, okay, well, it's still a few days away from launch, so there's a, a little bit of bugs here. Um, uh, the NX-01 is probably in here yes, also. The NX-01 is in there. Galaxy-class enter, uh, Enterprise is in there. Nice. Enterprise D. Nice. Cool. All right, awesome. We're moving on. Um, we're now at the tactical station. We've got some cool-looking... Uh, uh, who's, uh, whose uniform is this specifically? Uh, I think it just, for this one, um, you know, we still have to install some more of the information, but it's uh, the beginnings of a generic operations you know, okay. uniform. Awesome. The next generation era. And a phaser collection? Yes. We've got all the phasers here. We've got the uh, Type 2 phaser from Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Plasma phaser from Enterprise. Uh, we've got the n new phasers from the Kelvin universe, which look really slick here. And then the old Black and Decker phaser, which is the Type 2 phaser uh, from... Oh, this one's from Nemesis, though. But it has that sort of uh, Black retro and Decker. The it. retro, yeah. Cool. We've got some more people on the Wall of Fame over here. Jordy LaForge, Trip Tucker, Chief O'Brien, Bellana, and Scotty, of course. And here we have some phaser training. Okay, so if you bring the kids and they're, they've been away from their video games from, for more than a half hour and they have to freak out, this is a cool-looking interactive exhibit. I'm now holding a phaser, and I'm standing in front of a screen, and, I'm, and it's like a... It's like Duck Hunt, but... Uh, all right, well, let's turn it on here. That's a good description of it. Star Trek Duck Hunt. It's Star Trek Duck Hunt. Wait, it hasn't started. Here we go. It's loading now. Start. I'm only going to play for a second because... Uh, ooh. Fire at the center. It's British. C-N-T-R-E. Fire a steady beam, fire... Okay, hold, all right, here we go. Okay, I have two minutes to finish it. I'm just going to play for a second. All right, now what I'm doing here is I'm shooting... I'm not shooting um, Borg or Jem'Hadar. I'm shooting uh, icons. This is training now. We're in Starfleet Academy, remember? But it's very cool because I'm firing a phaser and it's actually working on these pretty sizable screens, these nice flat screens here that are embedded into the bulkhead. It looks very... Very cool. Awesome. Different types of targets require different types of shots. You know, just a quick stun, holding it down to heat something up. And your score is going to, if you do well on this, they're going to recommend perhaps security or tactical for you. Absolutely. If you do horribly, they're going to say botany. Yeah. <laughs> Get like Sulu. Go into botany. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. We can kind of... Yeah. here first in navigation. Oh, we got another command. cool thing in nav yeah. navigation? Okay. They're still in the process of installing this one. So it's largely kind of theoretical for us now. This is going to be very interesting. It looks like a ping pong table. Yeah, very much like that. Two stations on either side, big flat table surface. Yeah. This is going to have a map projected on it of a part of the universe. Mm. It's a navigation station. You're going to have to take your starship from point A to point B by selecting waypoints along the way. Oh, well, that's cool. So yeah. Like seven locations. you got to avoid things like black holes, Klingons, things yes. of that nature. Yeah. Then it will run the ship through what you've selected, and either yeah. you'll be destroyed, you'll make it through with battle damage, or maybe you'll make it through scot-free. Right. If there's a gravitational pull, could just kind of zip you off into the Delta exactly. Quadrant. But if you do it right, that is awesome. That's going to be a fun interactive thing. And on the Wall of Fame here, we've got information about, you know, Travis Mayweather, Sulu, Chekhov, Wesley Crusher, and Thomas Paris. Yeah, our helmsman. Thomas. And I, I, I never think of him as Thomas Paris, but yeah. I guess he is Thomas Paris. 
He's Tom to me. I don't think he would like Thomas either. Nah, he's the Tom. He's a real Tom. Um, all right, cool. And look, they have like an old. That's not unfortunately the unfortunately the photo they have representing Crusher is not in the rainbow sweater. It's the <laughs> it's the uh, older Wesley Crusher, very handsome, in Starfleet uniform. All right, that's my one note. My one note in the suggestion box is change that picture. I want to see Wesley in the rainbow sweater. Um, cool. All right, we're moving on uh, into another room here at this really fun exhibit. That's going to be here from uh, July 9th all the way through Halloween at the USS Intrepid. We've entered command. We are entered command. Oh, my God. It's Kirk's uniform from Star Trek The Motion Picture. And this is the Parsec, the, the Parsec belt, the little doohickey that's on his stomach. Wow, I'm so close to it right now. That's amazing. That's fun. And who's this? Is this? Um, yeah, oh, it's Robin Hood. That's Captain Picard's Robin Hood it costume. Is <laughs> <laughs> now, eventually, we will have uniforms in these cases for each of the captains from throughout the series. Right, right. This is what's been delivered so far. That hat. It's fantastic. He needs a bow and arrow. <laughs> All right. So here's the captains. From no, Archer. The first officers as well. Oh, the captains. Oh, I like that. It's, nice. it's the captains and their first officers. Uh, there she is. Kira Norris. Captain Janeway. Kirk, Archer, Picard. Paul, Riker. They're all there. Chakotay. The whole gang. And now we enter what is probably the uh, the cherry on top of the show. We are on the bridge of the Enterprise D. We are indeed. This is great. So if you ever fantasize about just walking around the Enterprise D, you enter through the you enter as if you just came in through the um, through the uh, the turbo lift. Yes, the turbo. <laughs> Thank you. You enter as if I've had a long night. If you if you it's like you're coming through the turbo lift and then you're in the back. And there's the screen. There's, oh, put on view screen. Everybody's stations. I'm standing where uh, where Worf would stand right now. I'm pushing buttons. And there's where Deanna Troy would sit. There's where the captain would sit. This is awesome. This is a dream. Mm-hmm. How many gonna... times have you had dreams about being on the Enterprise? A few. Yeah? Usually it blows up. I call them nightmares. Right. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I'm looking on the screen. It says Kobayashi Maru. Right. So we're in we're in the academy. Exactly. You're gonna take the Kobayashi Maru test. You absolutely have to if you want to graduate. Oh, that's heavy duty. I mean, kids are gonna come through this. They're gonna freak out. They are. They are. They have to learn. They do. They have to learn about the no-win scenario. Although some don't believe in the no-win scenario. Okay. Cool. I don't want to do the Kobayashi Maru right now, but I guess I, maybe I should. All right. Let's do it. How long does it take? About four minutes long. We go into the first battle just to see yeah, how the Yeah, people listening at home are uh, are, either, are just going to get too jealous. Just, uh, swipe your uh, RFID bracelet right there. It swiped. It beeped. Okay, folks, I am now sitting in Riker's seat. Why not in the captain's seat? Uh, because we want to keep the captain's seat available for photography. That's right. You know, Mike, you got, you got an... He passed the test. He already passed the test. Uh, Mike has an answer, I think, but it's right. So when you do come, you can sit in Captain Picard's seat and somebody who's with you will... Oh, no, there's an official photographer right there. Well, for our purposes today, but somebody with you can certainly take a selfie. Oh, oh okay. So if somebody, so there's a selfie opportunity like none other here. You can jump into the helm as well. Also, no oh. Kobayashi Maru there. Right. If you want to sit where Data sat, but I'm sitting in Riker's seat. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm in Riker's seat, and I'm about to take the Kobayashi Maru test, and um, we're approaching the neutral zone. Ooh. She a trill? 
She's I a, think so. You can see the spots. Yeah, she's a trill. I should just say, listen, buddy, I know there's nothing we can do. You're doomed. I know how this ends. Okay, so the captain of the Kobayashi Maru is, is begging us for help, even though he's trapped in the neutral zone. Three Klingons have just approached. All right, so what do I do? Ooh, look at this guy. <laughs> the Klingon commander of the IKA To'akag is now threatening me. And, okay, all right, I'll just read to you the first few of these. We're not going to do the whole thing, but it says, Your mission is to rescue as many of the Kobayashi Maru crew members as you can. Sensors indicate that the Klingons are powering up their weapons. What will you do? One, attack. Shoot two photon torpedoes at the Klingon cruisers. Or two, evade. Dodge the Klingon fire. Three, defend. Hold position to defend the Kobayashi Maru. Or four, secure. Activate shields and hold tight. Um, I guess... My philosophy, attack? Eh, no. But secure, that's a little too wimpy. Defend, I think defend. Yeah, it's like, hey, you're messing with me, I'm going to defend you. And evade, that's too sneaky. I'm going to defend. I choose, I choose defend. And it's going to say, you schmuck, why did you do that? Oh, and now it's visualizing it for me. And, oh, oh my god, I'm getting destroyed. Alright, cool. All right, so then it's going to continue on with many Absolutely. more of these scenarios. But let me just ask you. Oh, I saved five crew members. Yeah, for two minutes. They're all going to die in a second. Mike, does it always end with everybody getting killed? Uh, ultimately, it will tell you how many people that you've rescued. It's not always destroyed. You're never able to save the Kobayashi Maru as a whole, which is how I think they're incorporating this idea of a oh, no scenario. Oh, okay. You Remember, can't... we want children to come through, so they want some ray of hope. Right, right. Okay, so you're able to save the, the crew members. The ship will, the ship will be lost. But that's part of life. Okay, cool. Well, oh, I'm, I'm sweating now after that because that was very stressful to experience that. And we're going to now walk into what I believe is the last room. I'm leaving now. So I'm, uh, just to let you know, uh, Picard's ready room is to our left. But um, to our right is the next exit. So I'm going to leave Picard's ready room. He's in there drinking all great tea like a fiend in there. And now we're in the final room where we get our results. So even though during this tour that I did with you, over the podcast, um, I didn't do every step of the way, but it's probably going to give me enough data to tell me, uh, we hope you enjoyed. Yes, I enjoyed it. And it's going to tell me uh, my certificate is... Dum, dum, dum. It wants me to be in communications. Well, we spent the most time there, so that makes sense. All right, that's fair. Hey, I get to hang out with the Hura. Are you kidding me? And Hoshi. And Hoshi. Maybe they'll train me. Maybe we'll like hang out and chat afterwards, talk about the day. That would be thrilled to do that. So I have a certificate, which I guess we can print out later. So they email it to you. Oh, they email it to you. Okay, great. And then if you took, there's another station that we didn't do, which was the selfie station, where you can then change your face into a, a Vulcan or an Orion or a Cardassian. Put Dorian, uh, you know, um, um, antennae. Antennae on. Yeah, you. cool. Which we didn't do that, but that's okay. And then I also have, it shows you the various stations that I completed. Um, I, I did well on the, uh, uh, you know, so it shows that I did well on the, the Kobayashi Maru, and I did the phaser shootout, and they've got nice little icons, little patches, exactly. which are great. You can print that out, too, and you can, you can put it in a frame if you want. Yeah. Mike, thanks so much My for pleasure. doing this. And, um, you know, uh, people that are listening, if they book a tour to New York anytime between now and Halloween and they want to do the tour with you, that's a very achievable goal, right? Very, very much so. We're going to be offering it twice a day. And how many, you work eight days a week, right? 
<laughs> yeah, 367 days a year. Right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Depending All right. on which galaxy we're in anyway. Cool. Thanks again. Well, listen, uh, we're now going to beam out, and there were some more people that we want to talk to inside the exhibit, so we're going to go back inside. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Okay, well, this is a treat. So we were walking around the exhibit, and I bumped into, do I call you Commander? Do no. I call you Captain? Call me Mike. <laughs> what is <laughs> yeah. your official title in NASA? Uh, Na- I am no longer with NASA, but okay. I was a NASA astronaut. Right. But I was a civilian. No, but when so you were, have... when, if I was on the shuttle with you, what right. would I call you? Mike. Mass. Actually, everybody call me Mass. But, My last name's Massimino. But I want to know. Do we, no, I, I don't want. Yeah, we don't do. call each other like like the whole commander thing. Yeah. Nah. It sounds cool though. It's all nicknames. My commander okay. was Scooter. <laughs> the pilot. My first flight was Digger. My second right. flight was Ray J. Okay. Uh, no, you never. You never. Did. I. No, I called. I called Scooter once in a while. Commander Torre, which we got that. I was watching The Sopranos one day with them. Right. One guy called the other guy. So I called him Commandatore as a joke. Oh, okay. No, his name was Scooter. Scooter. We didn't go with any. Okay, yeah, well, I'm here with, with Mike Massimo, who we now call Mass. Massimino. Mass. We exactly call Mass. That's why they call me Mass, because I can't even pronounce <laughs> it at the time. Fantastic. And we're here at the USS Intrepid, and you are mm-hmm. an advisor here at the Intrepid. I am, for so space this is, stuff. This is kind of your office that we're in. Uh, well, right now we're inside of this exhibit, and right. I would like an office in here, but they won't give me a desk in here because <laughs> there's going to be people running around. Right. And I'd get in the way. But, yes, I do have an office here, and I, I come here whenever I – at least once a week I'm here. Now, I may, have, I may have watched all 700 episodes of Star Trek multiple you times. Did? Multiple times. Right. But you've actually been to space. I have. How many times? Twice. All right. For, the first time was sunlight, so like I got to get back to that place. The first time was a blur, and I wanted to go back more. Really? I think the second time than the first time. Yeah. Okay. How many? Yep. How many days altogether do you have? The uh, I think uh, like twenty-six or twenty. Depends how you count. That's a month's rent. Yeah. It's about yeah. It's about a, about about four weeks of my time I've been spending. Space. All right. Not too shabby. Yeah. Not too shabby. Yeah. No. I'm very happy that I got a chance <laughs> to do it. So you're what well, your day to day here? You are an advisor for the space activity at the Intrepid. Yeah. So um, when they put up a new exhibit, they run things right. by you. Well, they... yeah, I try to help out whenever I can. Um, you know, more. It, it depends. You know, for this one, this was kind of you know like a huge undertaking. Uh, I'm, I'm helping out a little bit with sort of what the message might be for education, how it relates to real space travel, sure, and so on. We had other exhibits here. We had a Hubble exhibit here, yeah, um, that I was very involved with as a co-curator, mm. um, and in other educational programs that we have here, because the you know, the message of the museum is to try to inspire and educate and pay yeah. tribute, um, and uh, I, I do what I can to help with some of the public programs and the speakers that come in and try to help in any way I can to promote well, you, the mission of the of the ship. But you know, being being true to actual science is something that goes back all the way 50 years to the beginning of Star Trek was Gene Roddenberry always wanted as much real science as possible. He actually right. had um, uh, the Rand Corporation was involved in uh-huh. certain um, uh, uh, consultations and they had another company. That makes it good. That, yeah, they had another company that they would actually send the scripts to and they wouldn't ask for like story notes, but yeah. they would say is this sort of possible? And now we're talking about yeah. warp drive and right. transporters, but they right. say you know, they they, right. they would give them those, and, and they would and adjust them if they, right. if they came and, back. And, and real science yeah. catches up to science mm. fiction, so we're getting, you know, now we're closer to what the Star Trek 
model was yeah. for space travel. We've still got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, but we certainly are, reflect more of that than we did back in the 60s when the show yeah. began in our space program. Mass, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think that we could ever figure out faster than light travel? Is yeah. that something that humans could figure out? Yeah, I think if, I, absolutely. If we're able to survive long enough to do that, if we don't get <laughs> hit by a giant asteroid or yeah. something devastates us, yeah, I think it's inevitable that's going to happen. What are, we, what are you thinking? Is it folding space? Is it wormholes? Is I it... have the foggiest idea. <laughs> If I knew that, I'd be... Well, there's a guy, the Alcubierre drive. Have you heard about the Alcubierre drive? I might be pronouncing it. a Mexican theorist who, who has sort of said that some of the Star Trek warp drive theories... I think, I think we're going to find... I don't think we'll be surprised if, that if it ends up being quite like what we see in, in science fiction. Yeah. Jules Verne, for example, he wrote this, you know, the, wrote the, front, you know, the moon, the name of the book is escaping me the now. Journey the Journey from the Earth to the... From the, from the Earth to the Moon, yeah, I think okay. it was. Or the, whatever, the, but but that that uh, had you know it talked about the size of the crew, the cost, splashing down on the water. It was made yeah. out of aluminum. He wrote this thing a hundred years before they did the actual mission, right? And it, it was it was very accurate, yeah. almost scarily accurate. And so who knows? Maybe we'll find that that same way. Uh, but there are there are great sources of energy in our universe. We just have to figure out how to harness them. And once we do that, I, I think we'll be traveling very quickly around this. this I like that. But it I may like be that. a long time. Maybe a long time. I don't know what's going to happen in my lifetime. But All right. Certainly, now, now, we're but, on our way. So this exhibit obviously is is for a lot of fun for Star Trek fans because you have a lot of interactive exhibits. Yeah. Uh, you have the bio beds. You have yeah. uh, props and, and replicas and whatnot. Were you uh, a Star Trek fan growing up? Or? I was when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I, I was born in 1962. And I distinctly remember kindergarten, one, kind, one day in kindergarten in Mrs. Johnson's room, thinking to myself, oh, cool, it's Friday night. I get to watch Star Trek with my older brother. Oh, awesome. That was back, you know, probably was 1967. Yeah. And that was a really cool show when it came out. And, yeah. uh, and I, I enjoyed watching it back then when I was a little boy yeah. and thought it was really cool. And then would watch the reruns of it. I guess I... You know, I identify with all the Star you're, This is a Star Trek show you do, right? So yeah. I guess for me it was that, that little boy, you know, a Star Trek show, that the first series, the original so, series with William Shatner and yeah, yeah. Mr. Sulu and so on here. Yeah. That was all, you know, that was what I watched as a little kid. And then growing up through college watching the reruns and yeah, so on. Yeah. And then we had a copy of the, uh, the, the, uh, the movie that came out in 09. The Star Trek movie. Star Trek 2009. Came out, in like, came out on May the 8th, 2009. That's right, yeah. And the reason I know that is because I flew into space on May the 11th. And on that, I remember that Thursday going down, flying down to the Cape. Mark Kelly, who was not on a flight with me, another astronaut, yeah. was flying. He said he was going to go see that Star Trek movie that was coming out. We're like, yeah, oh, we can't see this thing. We're going to be in space. Yeah. Ah, NASA had contact, without us knowing, as a surprise for us. Oh, wow. Had contacted Paramount and somehow worked out an agreement that they, and they loaded uh, yeah. a, a copy of the movie onto our computers that we got to watch <laughs> in space. So you watched Star Trek in space? We did, and we watched it at the end of the, check this out, we watched yeah. it at the end of the mission, right? Yeah. At the, we didn't, we were busy, and we, you know, you're doing yeah. looking out the window yeah. and it's stuff. It's not like you're just yeah, killing we, time up there. Yeah, we realized, there. crap, yeah. we're landing tomorrow, we haven't watched this movie yet. <laughs> so we asked our commander, Scooter, yeah. who's he's got to wake up and land the space shuttle, which yeah. is no easy task. Yeah, yeah. He's got the big job the next day, and he's in charge. We're like, hey, can we watch this movie? And he goes, it's getting late. 
goes, all right, we can at least start it. And the way the thing was loaded on the computer was like in yeah. segments, you know? Like sure. You couldn't watch the thing start to finish. Yeah. Like it had like part one, two, three, four. Uh -huh. So we watched part one, it was about a half an hour, and it was uh -huh. like really good, and then it stops. Right. And it's past our bedtime already. <laughs> and we all look at dad, like screw like Papa Bear. <laughs> what do we do now? And he, he's like, okay, put the next, That's and he got the next, and we watched the next day. And then at that ended, and we're like, you gotta go well, from we, there. We yeah. watched that whole damn thing. And at the whole time, it's like, yeah. is this really smart to stay up late the night before we've got to <laughs> land? You know, well, we've got to wake up early the next morning. He's got to yeah. land this thing. Yeah. So, well, we, we really like the movie. I told were, that story to Brian Burke. He went nuts. He gave me a bunch of paraphernalia. <laughs> was like, he, he thought it was great. He, did you, know. did you um, <clears throat> can you make popcorn on the space shuttle? Uh, no, we didn't have any popcorn <laughs> on the space shuttle. We did have snacks, though. We had other, and it, plus it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a government operation, so we did have M&Ms, but we had to call them candy-covered chocolates. Oh, right, you right. You couldn't no go free. by the real, right. <laughs> so you couldn't do that, but we had those, uh, those uh, we had candy and other stuff. We could, we had good food up there. We had a lot, a lot of good man, food. Oh, man. That's a funny yeah. story. Peanuts and stuff um, like that. When uh, you were thinking of getting into this line of work, who yep. were the, was there one specific astronaut that you admired the most? Was it one of the Mercury 7 or... Was there, was there one that you really fell in love with, so to speak, when you were learning about? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, and mm. he was a man. So my, uh, my, my idol, uh, you know, as a little boy, my three idols were my dad, Tom Seaver. I'm a huge Mets fan. <laughs> right, right. And Neil Armstrong. So to me, Neil Armstrong was it. He was the man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I idolized all those guys. I've gotten to meet, I got to meet him and know him a little bit. Unfortunately, Neil died a couple of years ago. And, yeah. But uh, John Young, I got to work with him. If he, mm. he, he walked on the moon as well, was the commander of the first space shuttle. He was still an active astronaut when I became an astronaut in 1996. Wow. So, uh, but my, my biggest, probably my biggest hero was Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. And, and I, I don't think anyone's going to knock him when, off that when, pedestal. When you meet other astronauts and there are other, there's no other terrestrials around and it's just like you and another astronaut, maybe a third astronaut in a room alone, do you have like a secret wink or something? Or? Yeah, we do. I can't tell you. I can't tell you that. But no, I think I think in, you know, yeah. no, we don't have any secret stuff. But um, it's a, but it's certainly a club, it's a club, it's a, yeah. and it's and, you know, I mean, I just saw Mike Lopez Alegria, who was an astronaut when I was an astronaut, and yeah. so we, you know, we flew in the we trained together. We never flew in space together. But I just saw him last night. And he's not, you know, he left the astronaut office before I did. Um, but you know, you have these friends. These, you know, we have these great memories. And now we're doing other things, but you know we still this friendship that you develop is always there. Yeah. And then there's a category of, of astronauts that came before you, like yeah. Neil Armstrong and Alan Bean. I've become good friends sure. with Jim Lovell. I've become friends oh, yeah, with, yeah. Um, and and it's Mike Collins. I mean, all these guys from back. The loneliest then. man in the galaxy, Mike Collins. Right. He Seems was pretty uh, happy though. He's not. No, really but I mean for yeah, a right little there, time. He was the he only was... guy who was on the other side of the yeah. planet by, without any. So um, meeting those guys is, is, are pretty cool. And what's interesting is that they are very interested in what you're doing yeah. um, as, a, as, a, as a new astronaut. And, and now, like, now that I'm out, yeah. you know, I'm I'm, I kind of root for the, there's some of them that I, that I work with that are still there. Some yeah. of the younger ones that are still there that I, some of them older than me too are still doing it. <laughs> I, you know, but the ones behind me, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of cheering for them. Yeah. And there's a, the newer ones, and they're going to pick a new class. I'm not going to, I'm not probably going to know these guys. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm very excited about what they're doing. So I'm. How, how are you? So uh, it is a very interesting occupation yeah. in that way. A lot of these older guys, they, <laughs> they gave back. They they um, they wrote books 
Are, is there, how I are you? I got a book coming out, man. That's a good lead in. Are you leading me into my book? No, well, tell me about your book. book. I don't know about it. coming in October the 4th. It's being published by Crown. It's called Spaceman. <laughs> and one uh, word or two? One word. Okay. There's a second title to it. Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson, why Spaceman? I said, well, fireman, garbage man, cowboy, other, tra- other traditional occupations right. are taken. So Spaceman okay. seemed to work. So Spaceman is the title. And then the second title is An Astronaut's Unlikely Store. An, 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 wait a minute. I don't even know it. Come on. It's hang your on book, man. What's the title? Okay, hang on. <laughs> an Astronaut's Unlikely Journey to Unlock the Secrets of the Universe. Whoa. Because that's what we did with Hubble is we unlocked. And those are my missions were to Hubble. Right. Well, yeah. The, if, if, if anybody walker. remembers the movie, it was an IMAX film called, I think it was just called Hubble IMAX. Hubble 3D. Hubble 3D. Hubble, yep. That was your mission. It's a that was great our mission. film. Yeah, I saw we, it our at mission, the... Our mission, we were featuring in that one. saw it on 68th Street. That's what you said we, we first talked. We did. We Years spoke. ago about that. Yes. That was, uh, came out in 2010, so yeah, a while six ago. years ago. Yeah. So the Spaceman's coming out soon. Spaceman, Spaceman colon, blah, 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 blah. Right. That's, and, that's, um, that's it. That's yep. great. Well, yep. congratulations, man. I'm looking Pleasure. forward to reading it. All right. We got to move Thanks on. Thanks for your but time. Thank you for coming on. We really right. appreciate it. All be right. well. And that's going to be it for this week's show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Please feel free to contact me via Twitter at, at J Hoffman. That's J-H-O-F-F-M-A-N on Twitter. You can tweet the hashtag EngagePod. You can throw the hashtag up on Facebook, too, EngagePod. And you can uh, leave us a note or engage with us on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com slash EngageTheOfficialStarTrekPodcast, which I think is all just one big thing. Or you can Google it. Um, Next week, we got a great new show coming up. Next week, we got the movie coming out real soon. We got Comic-Con around the bend. We're looking at a month until the Las Vegas convention. Am I going to see any of you there? If you're going to be at the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas in early August, let me know. Tweet at me or hit me over Facebook if you want to um, embrace, laugh, have a beer, have a non-alcoholic beverage, shake hands. If you want to yell at me and tell me I stink, uh, don't contact me. Um, and, and don't yell at me and tell me I stink. Do it behind my back. Do it when I'm not there. But when I am there, either ignore me or give me a hug or give me a high five. How does that sound? Okay, that's a deal. That's a contract I make with you. All right, great. We'll see you soon. And until then, uh, live long and prosper. How about it? Okay. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.